Welcome to the LVR Podcast, a podcast designed for Australian mortgage brokers made by brokers. We're here to help answer your questions with solid industry answers. Learning, validation, and respect. Now, here's your hosts, Ruan Berger and Marissa Schultz. Thank you, everyone, for having us again, myself and Marissa, and just would like to welcome our guest today, Damien Brander, Managing Director of Australia Lending and Investment Centre. Quite a strong business in Melbourne and also, as we'll know, in the top 25 businesses in Australia, very well received and uh, clearly a business that's placed very well in the investment space. Damien, a big um, and hard welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you very much to yourself, Rowan and Marissa, for having me on the show today. Great to be on. Yeah, welcome, Damien. Definitely been a business that I've admired for a long time, so it's great to have you on the show. No, no, thank you so much. I mean, we're always pleased to be able to be invited to, uh, you know, share a little bit about us and our story. So I think for the question for me on my mind, and I think, Marissa, you that would tick a box with you too, you're a company that was built on the foundations of investment lending. There's, I would say, 90% of your clients are investment lending clients. Uh, so buy property, buy another property, buy another one. Then you look at the market we're currently finding ourselves in. Is it fair to say your challenges then should be quite real and quite quite severe? Well, probably to the contrary, uh, Ruan. We actually see it as an opportunity for a lot of investors. If yeah. you think about the last few years, particularly, when there was a very hot property market, it didn't quite make a lot of economic sense for investors to compete with people wanting to upgrade or become emotionally invested in property purchasing. You know, I think investors are typically always quite sensible about what they need to, as a budget, spend on a property, i.e. their return over time and all of those other factors that are a bit more sort of about the dollars and cents to the opportunity in front of them. And, and in the market, we saw coming out of the COVID period when it was quite buoyant and very sort of, you know, I guess, at its peak, you know, um, investors were largely taken out of the buying opportunity because people were paying above the odds, mm. or at least that's what a lot of them saw. Mm. So right now, it's very much kicked around where it's actually now a bit more of a buyer's market and there are a lot more sort of sensible opportunities in front of you know, our investors. So we see it as a, as a time of opportunity, um, particularly because we're seeing a lot more investors becoming active and wanting to explore uh, investment opportunities. That's wonderful. So does that mean that during, I guess, the last few years, has has that been a bit more difficult for the business then if, um, you know, when at, during that period where house prices were just going a bit crazy? Well, uh, I think we probably didn't see the, um, I guess, gains that a lot of other broker firms may have saw our strategic focus on investors and being attractive to investors, it did limit us, but we didn't go backwards in, let's say, our volumes, for example. What we were finding that a lot of our probably less experienced brokers were gravitating and were finding opportunities with non-investors, a little bit contrary to our sort of core values, but uh, nonetheless, you know, it was opportunities that were there and every client opportunity where they're looking to buy their first home or upgrade a house doesn't mean that they won't become an investor down the track. Yeah. So we did we didn't shy away from those opportunities if that makes sense. And what do you what do you do to you know help those first home buyers or f- help those clients that come to you for a different purpose other investment? How do you help them to 
transform into an investment client? Is there an education program that you run or what is your process around helping to educate them about investment? Well, you hit it on the head. It's all about education. It's about using their money wisely. Yeah. The first thing we often say to clients that uh, are looking at, let's say, large non-deductible debt is, what's your plan to pay this off? And if the answer is, I plan on working for the next 30 years and paying it off, well, we say that's not a solution. That's not a plan to pay off your mortgage. You know, so we start to then talk to people and we educate our clients around what are the sort of options and what are the sort of plans that they may be able to put in place to reduce that non-deductible debt and, and try and maximise their wealth enablement strategy through some of the sophisticated or smart lending strategies that we can put in place if that's uh, sort of um, is, is making a little bit of sense. Yeah, awesome. That must be. And do you do, you do that sort of on a one-on-one basis or do you run seminars or webinars? What's your um, strategy for helping to educate the clients on scale? It's very much about their unique situation and we have to do quite a lot of work at an individual level to ascertain risk appetite, understand the, the capacity for future growth in their income. Um, we, we need to take a lot of their personal sorts of um, uh, measurements into stock when we're actually having that conversation. We, we do it more on that one-to-one, that individual basis. It's obviously, a, it's a fraught sort of conversation to be having at a, at a broad or holistic level. If you, if you think about some of the implications of providing advice or being seen to be mm. providing advice, yeah. mm. you know, we don't necessarily try and go down that pathway. What we are doing is we're looking at a person's unique situation we're looking at their appetite to invest or not invest and then we're tailoring what it is that they're looking to achieve with the skills and experiences that we have to try and get them there. So I was going to ask if you have a financial planning arm in the business or is it just mortgage broking? No, no, it's just the mortgage broking. Okay. In fact, part of our DNA is is very much about not um, trying to do everything. We're not a specialist at everything. Mm-hmm. What we specialize in is just is in the lending strategies that are going to help them find their investment goals or meet Mm. their investment goals. So when it comes to that additional external uh, specialist advice that they need, we definitely refer them out to appropriate specialists. Mm -hmm. But we do it in a way where there is no financial or monetary involvement in that referral. We, We have a very strong ethos. It's part of our DNA in the inception of this company to be ethical, first and foremost. Yep. The trust equation is very simple and it needs to be all about what's in the best interest of the client. Yes. And all of that gets eroded as soon as there is any inclination that we're doing anything for our own self-worth. We live that principle that we don't have any financial arrangements with any of our referral partners. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And truth be told, mate, if you do as well as you guys have done, you've proven the proof is in the pudding mm. that at the end of the day, you can stay in your lane and be exceptionally successful, financially successful as well, in respect of just doing what you do for your clients in that specialized environment. But just on that note, Damien, you've you've mentioned earlier now that, you know, just when Marissa asked about the market as the market presented itself, and you found yourself where you suddenly started playing a bit outside of your lane, not as much investment, but with the prolonging you know, proposition and vision that today's buyer could be tomorrow's investor. Is mm. that changing the is that changing your direction a bit for future to go, well, listen, we could be doing both? Or is this now because the market is now very much becoming investors, becoming acutely aware again of how they can play in their own space, that you're going back to just do that 
that part of the game, so to speak? Yeah, well, it's a good question. And, and we never really saw ourselves trying to or, or deviating from that. What we did see was that the reality of the opportunities put in front of our brokers was very different. Yeah. Mm. There was just so much more appetite for people to upgrade, to buy new property that was not considered investment. So, yeah. I mean, by nature of the volume of those sorts of inquiries, you were just dealing to that. So it wasn't intentional and it yeah. wasn't something by design. We were largely dealing with our clients or referred clients from other of our existing client pool to help them with their immediate lending needs. And so it was never part of our structure, it was never part of our strategy to seek out that sort of, I guess, clientele, but we're not going to tell any clients that we're not there to help them. So, um, you know, we're very specific that what we should be doing in every interaction is advising the customer what we specialise in. Yeah. Yeah. Why is there a benefit in dealing with us and our brokers, you know, because we are investment lending specialists. And even though you are looking at this house, again, that really first and primary question we ask, What's your plan to pay that off? Mm. Um, and then just assist them with education around what they can be looking at doing to try and you know improve their overall um, situation over time. As part of that advice piece around paying the loan off and, and future, is it mainly just verbal conversations in relation to what they could be doing in the future or do you provide them with sort of a written plan? Like, you know, what sort of value do they get in the form of having some sort of documented plan as to how their investment portfolio is going to evolve as time goes on? Well, first and foremost, we tailor it specifically to the individual. So there isn't some sort of template that we use per se that presents a client with some sort of strategy document um, or some sort of prospectus almost. But what we do do is work with a client very closely on what is it they're trying to achieve. Some clients, their appetite for risk is a lot higher Um, and they have an income that would support a more aggressive investment strategy. Mm. And some are relatively new to this investment idea and concept. And so they're very, I guess, adverse to too much risk. And so we'll tailor and boutique the the sort of, I guess, options to them um, to really just meet what they're hoping to achieve. What we find more and often, and hopefully this answers your question a little bit, is that these clients, when they go through that process, that they begin a journey of their first investment property and the impact to their overall cash flow through some of their strategies, their genuine cash flow, is not that severe as one would probably think about getting a new mortgage for a new property um, because of the income that they're receiving, the, the, the net rental income, taking into account net rental expenses and then obviously looking at that in a way where we're managing the cash flow more strategically because it is an investment. It's not an emotional or long-term purchase Mm. from the perspective of I want to be living in that in the future. Then a lot of that starts to make a lot of sense. And what we're finding then is that a lot of our customers go, that that, that really isn't impacting me financially the way I thought it might. It's actually now growing in value or income and it makes me want to maybe explore another. And so we see a lot of our customers over time, they just repeat repeat uh, buying customers through us. And so then we're just starting to tailor that strategy to suit their evolving needs. And and what are the uh, types of strategies that you offer to clients to help them to have that low cash flow impact? Is there some sort of capitalization of interest or what is unique to sort of that strategy that you offer the clients? Yeah, it definitely varies between individuals. So there isn't one sort of, um, I guess, 
solution uh, to that to that sort of question or problem statement. What we find is that customers that are educated around particular geographic regions through some of our specialised referral partners. So we we use some of Australia's prominent um, buyers advocacy firms to help our clients source out appropriate uh, investment properties for their portfolio. We don't give advice on the property. We don't talk about the property. We we provide certainty around the funding amount that they can secure in an effective investment lending scenario. Okay. So then when they're actually dealing or they're, they're associating with some of these buyers advocates and they're understanding geographies and they're understanding the forecast of potential growth in some of these um, geographies because of the market conditions that are forming or have formed in those particular regions, then they uh, are put into a situation where they're starting to get real insights into select property areas. And that's when they then come back to us and say, look, we're thinking about this property and you've provided me certainty of funding perhaps with an AIP. Um, the return is X and my overall cash flow position shouldn't be too much because for the price point we're buying in um, and the return that we're receiving, it's so much more economically um, beneficial than buying, let's say, in Melbourne or Sydney, for example, where the price points are so much more elevated. So just on that point, can that then influence... You guys, because, I mean, if you think, just think about negative gearing, you think about tax variations, could that influence that lending where it does push a client at the end of the day to say, well, maybe I should look at a newer property because of the tax variation that I can get there for the cash flow that I can create? Well, we, we largely don't involve ourselves in that side of the conversation. We can give a client uh, the, I guess, opinion from a lending scenario and how a bank might treat that in terms of serviceability and what additional income might be added back into the equation because of some of those things. We typically don't go into any advice around the property or what's the most suitable investment uh, type of property for them. And would that be Um, part of the the relationships that you hold, whether it's the accountant, the planner, et cetera, somewhere along the line with those things, those conversations may be had, but as you said, your lane is quite clear in respect of the yeah. capacity for investment and the capacity for lending, therefore. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely correct. You know, we need to be acutely aware of yeah. what our expertise uh, allows us to actually um, say to a customer. Um, and when we're not in our area of expertise or qualification, we absolutely leave that to an appropriate and accredited expert. But what happens is we're working in a collaboration with the client. The client's at the centre of that. They're getting their inputs and they're getting their data that helps them formulate what's the most appropriate strategy in the property stakes, for example, for them. And then we're working on the solution around the funding scenario, whether that becomes an interest-only investment because it might be a three- to five-year hold play for the client that's being worked out with that buyer's advocate when they're looking at geographies, they're looking at the returns and they're looking at the forecast. So when they come back to us and say, we're, we're looking at this property, then we go, okay, how does that fit into the lending scenario that we've created for you? Yeah. Okay. And if it's a three to five year strategy and you're expecting a 35 to 40% growth return on the equity, well then let's look at how we can minimize your cash flow, and that may be an interest only product because you're not actually intending to hold that property for 10 plus years, where there is then a need to maybe reduce the principal debt amount. But it's really dependent on what the client then is advising us around the type of property they're after. Yeah. I think a lot of our listeners will find it really interesting that, you know, Australian Lending and Investment Centre has such a 
strong uh, focus on their niche and, you know, I think it's fantastic that you do. Obviously, this was a decision that the owners and directors made right at establishing this business, I believe. And I'd, I'd love you to share with our audience, you know, what are some of the pros and cons of being really specific in a lending niche? Because that will just help give our listeners a bit of understanding around the considerations if they're trying to decide whether they need to hone in on, on a particular niche rather than than sort of, you know, there's a lot of a lot of noise out there in the market about diversifying. So, you know, I guess a lot of our listeners will be torn about, you know, specializing in a niche versus diversifying. And you're obviously a very successful example of where specialization has worked incredibly well for you. Could you give our listeners some pros and cons from your perspective as to specialization versus diversification? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think it's a very valid question from a lot of people in the industry right now too. Uh, and particularly because we are seeing what would be that sort of broad and generalist field being impacted more by the current economic uh, headwinds. Um, and, and specialization does insulate you from some of those headwinds, particularly if you found your niche, you're quite tuned in, tapped in and and turned on towards, you know, um, sourcing those sorts of clients within that niche, so which we feel we are. But then again, um, it does come with, with some of the cons that are associated with that, which is, you know, less market opportunity. You are particularly focused and you are lasering in on a, on a certain sector of clientele. And that does limit you to your total number of leads and, and clients you can be working with. That's absolutely true. So there is a pro and con in that. There's also a, a con in do you have the right expertise within your firm? Mm. So, for example, if you're more than one person and you have a couple of people working in your business, do they all have the same level of expertise that will be suited towards that niche? And how do you test and validate that that 100%. is ongoing? Mm. You know, that that's one of the key considerations we always have to look at. And we've invested heavily in the training and development and the ongoing education of our of our all our business as we develop our own internal talent pool to become future brokers. It's very much a, a whole progression and, and education and learning to become that subject matter expert within the next three to five years. Is it almost fair to say that there's a, there, there's a bigger investment that comes to play here because you almost have to build them in a certain form to be sure that they deliver on what you've been selling to the market in respect of your capacity and what you bring to, to the table. Absolutely spot on. You, you've hit it 100% on the head. There is a huge amount of risk if we have people in our business who think that they're investment lending experts going out saying all manner of things that are not quite kosher. Mm. Mm. And if you're importing people who have years of experience but not in your niche field, they may inadvertently say things they shouldn't. Yeah. Or they may not have the experience to say what needs to be said in the correct manner or give the right advice to a client around the lending scenario. And that could really come and bite you later on. So we're acutely aware of the challenge of importing people uh, into a business model which is so sort of specific and specialised. Mm. So for us, it makes a lot more sense to invest in people at a very early stage and sort of grow them through all of our business roles to ensure that they are actually then appropriately trained, have the right skills and the right experience and techniques Mm. to mirror what we expect 
of our investment lending managers. I love that. It's kind of like a little apprenticeship or traineeship within your business to sort of yeah. grow them into... It, it is absolutely that. We, we've actually designed the whole program on that, Marissa, to, to make sure. And, and we actually do the sign-off on that person to become what we call an investment lending manager. And they actually go through various stages internally, then into an associate investment lending manager role. If I give you a little bit of insight, they need to go through a minimum of a six-month side-by-side course for a minimum of 150 meetings with a senior investment lending manager mm. to be then considered worthy and accredited in our eyes to be an investment lending manager within the business. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it helps you to up, you know, uphold that quality that you're that you're promising the market. And obviously, it's your reputation on the line with every person that's representing you. Marissa, I know there's a question you want to ask Damien, and that is how many times is he sitting in the big boardroom and saying, you're fired? Oh, I wasn't thinking of that question, Ron, but obviously that's not top of you. Uh, well, look, I don't pretend to be Donald Trump far from it. I think um, what, we've, what we've done, because this is, this is one of the challenges when you're looking to specialise, you know, how do you find the appropriate experts? That, that's a real challenge. And so what we've done is we've created career, career pathways mm-hmm. and we're very, we're very open and transparent at the very outset. Let's say, for example, we're bringing in someone that's doing basic loan administration within the business as a support function. Mm. We're creating a career pathway by saying, when you do well in this role, you'll be prepared and ready to move into the next role. And that might be a a client service manager role where you're interacting more with the client. Um, And then from there, you might progress into another specialised role, being a mortgage analyst. And from there, you might go into operationals, you know, roles. And then from there, you may decide that you're wanting to advance your career in the mortgage industry and you want to potentially look at an associate investment lending manager role. So we've created these career pathways so that we can actually understand the capabilities of individuals at the very outset. And then when they're ready and when they're willing, we can then provide the next logical role for them to continue their development and education. That's awesome. I think, uh, you know, that's a lot to learn from that career pathway transition that you've developed. And I think that's something that a lot of our listeners will take on board. It's a really good thing for our industry. And I think our industry needs to see more of those sort of career pathways being set up so that we can try and get some good young people in the industry and get the quality, you know, make sure that the quality is there at the end of the day. So And, and equality. Equality, exactly. And equality, Marissa. So one of, the, one of the big things that we've been able to do with, I think, is a challenge in the industry. We're really proud right now to say that we have more female brokers and associate lending investment managers than our male yeah. So, and that that's that's huge because what we've done is we've invested in people at the very beginning, and we're showing them that there is a way to become a broker. That isn't this hard cliff that you've got to jump off and then sort of make it on your own. That we can help, and that, mm. and that's really helping to sort of level up and now advance the the gender equation in our business. Mm. But not only that, I think out of the eight female associate investment lending managers or ILMs that are female, um, all but one comes from an Anglo-Australian background. So we've got a cultural diversity and a gender diversity that's now an outcome of our whole career pathway planning program. That's perfect. That's great. That's music to my ears because I'm definitely a fan of gender equality and trying to get more females in the industry. So that is very nice to hear, Damien. That's keep up the great work in that space, I think. One of, one of, one of the key outcomes and benefits there is now we have so many more people in our business that are relating to potential client base that we potentially didn't actually relate to previously. 
So it's opening up whole yeah. new opportunities for us, which is which is great. And that's, that's a real positive outcome from this whole investment. Well, I feel like we could ask you questions all day, Damien, but I feel like that's a really lovely place to end it today. And we have run out of time, but it's really great to hear about you know, your pros and cons for niche specialization versus diversification. And I loved hearing about the career path that you've set up for your employees to become brokers. And just the cherry on top was the diversity, you know, the equality, the internal uh, diversification that you've got with your team. That's awesome. So keep up the great work that you're doing for the industry. But just on that note, Marissa, also the tests they've already done to Mm. know that from, from what they've done, you know, they've got enough information to show us all it is working at grassroots we can really we can really make this industry even better absolutely yeah well done well thanks so much for joining us today damien really appreciate your time thanks mate marissa thank you so much and ruan thank you it's been a pleasure being on your show today and i look forward to uh, chatting again soon awesome and if you've enjoyed the episode please make sure you like us and share us with all of your friends and other mortgage brokers that you think would find it useful and we'd love to hear from you if there's any topics that you'd like to hear from in the future beautiful thank you everyone till next time Thanks for listening to the LVR podcast. We hope you gained massive value from today's episode. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Success and Broker and The Broker Journal, driving broker routines and behaviors for better client outcomes. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'd appreciate if you gave us a five-star review. That way, it'll help others who would value this content too. We'll join you in the next episode.